Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Net Jabbar. This is going to be episode 45 of 2021. Episode 45 of 2021. I almost said 2020. Episode 45 of 2021. So, uh, I'm going to do the readings now for the fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time. Before we begin, please subscribe and share. Um... It would be a great help, and, um, well, it would be fun. <laughs> Let's begin with the act of contrition. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision. Christe elision, Christe elision, Christe elision. Kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision. All right, now I'll say it in English for those of you who may be new. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Christ have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. And now we go to the Gloria. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so let's begin with the readings for the fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time. Okay, the first reading for... The um, fifth Sunday of, ordin of Ordinary Time is from the book of Job. All right. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the book of Job from chapter 7, verse 1 to 4, 6 to 7. I am filled with restlessness until the dawn. A reading from the book of Job. Job spoke, saying, is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those of hirelings? He is a slave who longs for the shade, a hireling who waits for his wages. So I have been assigned months of misery, and troubled nights have been allotted to me. If in bed I say, when shall I arise? Then the night drags on. I am filled with restlessness until the dawn. My days are swifter than the weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Remember that 
My life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. Read, oh, we read it one more time. The book of Job, chapter 7. Job spoke, saying, Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those of hirelings? He is a slave who longs for the shade, a hireling who waits for his wages. So I have been assigned months of misery, and troubled nights have been allotted to me. If in bed I say, When shall I rise? Then the night drags on. I am filled with restlessness until the dawn. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. Okay, we'll read it one more time. Job chapter 7. Job spoke saying, Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those of hirelings? He is a slave who longs for the shade, a hireling who waits for his wages. So I have been assigned months of misery, and troubled nights have been allotted to me. If in bed I say, When shall I arise? Then the night drags on. I am filled with restlessness until the dawn. My days are swifter than a weaver a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Now, the book of Job is actually considered one of the wisdom and poetry books because there's both wisdom and poetry in it. <clears throat> and uh, Job is actually by some scholars, um, orthodox scholars, they, they believe that it's probably the oldest book in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Maybe could be even older, in some cases, than Genesis. Um, God is mentioned, but you don't hear Israel being mentioned. Um, you know, you don't hear Abraham being mentioned. You don't uh, hear... Um, uh, any of the patriarchs being mentioned, but who is Job? Uh, well, we can say he was definitely a prophet. Um, is he related possibly any way to Abraham's family? Uh, maybe known by a different name in the family tree lineage? Perhaps. Perhaps he was. Um, uh, most definitely he has to be, but... Um, he lived in Mesopotamia and the Chaldeans are being mentioned. Um, uh, I know that if you read later, uh, through the book, as you're going down, uh, as he's, uh, sort of like debating with, uh, his, uh, friends, supposed to be his friends who were sort of like challenging him on his, um, suffering, you hear Adam's name being mentioned. So, Something about God is known, obviously. Uh, he obviously offered sacrifice sin offerings. We know that he did this because he, um, just in case one of his sons might have offended God, cursed God in their heart, 
Uh, so he knows something about God. He knows he has some orthodox belief about the the creator. And he often, he, he refers to him later on as my redeemer lives. So he knows something. He knows definitely he has a knowledge, a very profound knowledge about who God is. So he knows to offer sin offerings, burn offerings. He continues the tradition of sacrifice. He knows uh, the meaning of sin and he knows that God is creator. So this is something that obviously was known be before the days of Abraham, before the days of Israel. There was a knowledge about the one God, that he's redeemer, he's savior, he's creator, and he's judge. The story of Job, he uh, obviously, uh, he was a rich man. He had thousands of livestock. He was, uh, he was an important person in Mesopotamia. He held some position. Uh, he was judge. He was respected by people. Now the question goes on from there is, uh, what happened? Well, he had one horrible day where armies came, took his cattle, uh, natural disaster came, uh, his children died. And he then therefore um, accepted his suffering and uh, gave glory to God who gives good and also brings the bad. And he decided to mourn his loss. And, you know, he suddenly berated. Uh, some people think he's being arrogant and prideful. His wife thinks he's being arrogant and prideful. Well, the story then changes the stage goes to heaven. The sons of God, referring to the angels at this time, come and present themselves before the Lord. And then who lo who comes? The fallen one, Satan, presents himself to the Lord. And God uh, then demands to know where he's been. And he says, I've been over here and over there around the earth. And then God sort of like puts Job out as bait. Have you considered my servant Job? He is, uh, you know, he, he respects me, he fears me, and he worships me. And Satan goes, well, you've put a protection around him, but I bet you you take everything away from him. He'll curse you to your face in a, in, in a second. And then God said, go ahead, but don't touch his life. And that's how the challenge begins. Well, here we go. This is like seven chapters into the book. Job spoke, saying, Is not man's life on earth drudgery? Well, uh, constant, pointless working almost feels like pointless existence. We've all felt that way. How many, day, how many of us hate our jobs? How many of us, many of us feel that our jobs are, our lives are pointless, right? So he's, this is something he's felt thousands of thousands of years ago, and this is how something we feel thousands of years later. Are not his days those of hirelings? We often feel like we're just um, slaves to our existence, slaves to our job, our meaningless jobs, slaves to to um, pointless, uh, repetitive work. Um, he is a slave who longs for the sh for the shade. Well, we often feel like we don't get a break. 
We all, all of us felt that way. This is a, one of the beautiful things about Job, the book of Job. It, if you read it, you will realize that how many people like felt the way we did have believed that our existence felt the same way that there's some people even the most richest powerful person on earth people who have ceo positions get to the point where they where they where they come to realize that their that their existence feels pointless people who may have everything more than you and i could ever dream of often are not happy i mean some there are people who believe that all their problems in the world can be solved by money and there are thus and then and then in case from a conservative orthodox christian point of view and judeo-christian view sometimes that's that's not always the, that's not always the case it's not always the case that money will solve all your problems. It's not always the case. It definitely can make life a little easier. But in some cases, it can blind people. People who have lots of money often begin to hate those, those who don't have. They become so jealous and fearful of the poor. And often maybe they begin to have contempt for those people who don't have anything. They begin to, um, you know, it's, it's a strange behavior. I mean, you look at the case like some of these powerful people like Bill Gates and George Soros and others. They, they begin to hate the poor. They begin to hate the rest of the world. They begin to think of the rest of the world as pawns in their, in their hands. There's a lot of rich people who do that. And I've, I know, I know I've, I've bumped into them. There's a lot of contempt, a lot of, uh, uh, venom towards other people who don't have what they have. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's shame. It could be. But can a person have money and not let the money blind them to the truth? Can a person have money? Because sometimes what money does is it isn't that money changes you. It's that that was always in you. That kind of thinking and that kind of behavior was always there from the beginning. You know what I mean? It's, it's like it brings out what is hidden, what, it, what already is there. That you already thought this way. This is something you've always um, thinked. It's just that but the money kind of brought it out. The wealth brought out that kind of thinking. You know, and it's, it's true. It's, it's very true. You have to realize that. Money doesn't change people. Money only reveals what, what, what has already been there. You know? What, you know, if you thought people were less than others, if you thought some people were um, inferior to others, the money didn't do that to you. This is something you already believed. That's why you have to be aware of sin. It just makes it, what happens is, is that the money makes it harder for you to repent of that kind of thinking. 
because now you're so comfortable. Remember in the, um, the sower who sowed the word of God, some seed fell on, on rocky sides and the crows and, 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 um, the crows came down, the ravens and crows came down and ate it. And that was Satan stealing the word. Some fell on, on other, other areas where the sun scorched it. And it was, it represented persecution of the word and other seed fell among the thorns and weeds and the thorns and the weeds, it grew, but the thorns and weeds choked it. Right. That's, uh, the love of money and the riches of the world made it difficult for the word of God to, 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 to sprout, to grow. And some fell on wood, good soil and it, be, it became a good harvest. So all this, you know, it's the, the love and riches of the world that's going to make the word of God comp uh, difficult to grow. Because you, because we, we often want to be in comfort, in comfort. It's difficult. That's, that's a fact. All right, let's go on. A hireling who waits for his wages. <laughs> you know, how often, how often we feel how, I know we, we wait, we want to get paid. And then how many off, how, how often, whatever time we get the money, the bills come. And then we have to start the process all over again. And that's. That's, that's where we have to, um, we have to clear up our priorities. We have to figure out what's important in life. A lot of guys want to go out and they want to go party. Um, and then you go, you're going to go drink your, your, your sorrows away. And then you want to go to, uh, part, you know, to forget about your sorrows and you put things, other things, um, uh, you have like a habits, you have like little, little, uh, hobbies that often, uh, are wasteful. It's I know it's hard, but you have to really, you have to be mature. You want to buy the latest product. You want to buy the latest, uh, uh, cool sneakers. I mean, have you ever seen some of those sneakers these days? They're like ridiculous. I mean, the colors and designs are like just ridiculous and, and you see that. And, uh, I mean, it's, you know, you have to grow up. I know it's hard, but we live in a time now where, um, adolescents, we live in a culture where adolescents is coddled late into the twenties and thirties. You have to, we have to put our, our priorities. Our priorities are important. We have to realize how ridiculous we look as grown men. You know, I'm, I, I have, um, maybe because the fact that I'm not married, it could, you know, adolescence, uh, behavior, I think can last a little longer maybe, but even I beginning to realize, you know, some of my, uh, silly, uh, hobbies, distractions can, can be costly. And a lot of us have to realize that we have to realize, you know, what we waste our time in. And then also it's money because your money is your hard, your hard work, the hours you put in, you put into these things. I mean, some, like I said, I mentioned com, uh, guys going to these comic book shops or video games. It's almost like idolatry and the money you give is your burnt offerings. You gotta, you know, you gotta put them away.
you know, your, your wages have to go to important things, the, the most important things. Your health, a roof over your head, food, and also to the family that may need you, that need, that need, you know, that you, you have responsibility. And those responsibilities are tests for us, testing us to see how we grow and how we love. You know, we have to, we have to put other things first. Okay. Um, then it goes on here. So I have been assigned months of misery. It goes from wages. So I have been assigned months of misery and troubled nights have been allotted to me. Anxieties, fears, fears of not, of not, um, of not being able to make it. Fears of not being able to pay the bills. Fears, fears, uh, Will you ever, you know, will, will you, maybe you might finally fall apart. Something will go wrong. Fears and anxieties of what will, you know, of, of, of maybe unknown. Uncertainty. And, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of this happens. A lot of us go through it. Will I be able to to pay the rent for next month? Will I be able to 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 survive? Can I do this? You know, and and that's where faith comes in to strengthen you. That's where you you have to you have to let God come into your life. I mean, I'm I'm quite. Who knows what a lot of people go through. Who knows what a lot of how, how a lot of people feel, you know, but the fact is there's a, there's some people, anxiety is a constant companion. I've heard people even someone say once anxiety is their middle name, but sometimes what's really hard is you could, your anxiety could be your little pagan idol. You just can't let go of it. Because sometimes worshiping God means changing. Making God the center of your life means changing. Means changing the way you think, the way you behave, and how you look at the world. And, and, and the fact is, it's growing. And yes, each stage of faith brings new challenges. It means it's a challenge to grow. I mean, sleepless nights That's, and troubled nights have been allotted to me. If in bed, I say, when shall I rise? And, and then the night drags on. You're terrified to facing the new day. You're terrified of, of facing what comes to you because you just don't know if you're going to make it through the next day. And so your, your, your sleepless nights become prison. They feel like they're dragging and then you're terrified when the day comes. I'm filled with restlessness until the dawn. Restlessness, anxiety. My days are swifter than the weaver's shuttle. And then sometimes you know, we're amazed when you look back and we realize a month gone by, we realize how many, I mean, think about it. We just went through a whole month of January and now we're, we're halfway through February. 
It's amazing how time flies by and how often it feels like it's dragging, like it's torture. You're wondering, you know, now we're living in this COVID era and you're wondering, can, are we going to be able to make it? Then, uh, then they come to an end without hope. That's the most scary part is dying in despair. It's, it's that your days come and you and you despair because restlessness and anxiety, fear brings despair. Remember that my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. Doesn't sound much different, right? Really? Doesn't sound much different from our days. This is this is this is a man who lived who knows thousands of years ago, maybe five thousand years ago, maybe more. And this is how people thought. And we th we like to think of them like if they were cavemen, primitive. But this is, you know, I mean, I'm sure the book has gone through some editing. I'm sure the book has gone through um, language changes. But still, they've been they found copies of the book, and it's pretty much the same. This is this is something that's important. We have to understand suffering. And we have to understand that you can't live without hope. You can't live without faith. You cannot live without God. Some people are nihilistic. They don't believe there's any changes, there's any hope. We have no change. We have no hope but to accept the miserable life that we have. That leads to, that's very dangerous. It leads to um, a very... Um, a lot of suicide, it leads to a lot of suffering, and then you don't you have to have hope. Man, mankind, human beings, people, men and women have to have faith. And they help, but it cannot be a faith that is empty. It cannot be just faith like just a word. There has to be a substance to that faith, and that substance, that truth has to be God. And we we can make we can weaponize suffering. Offer it up as a sacrifice to God on an altar. The altar in our own heart. We did that. That's been done through Jesus Christ on the cross. Job is a type of Christ, but he is, he is the Christ of the Old Testament that was looking forward to the Redeemer, which is Christ himself. He was a, you know, Again, like I said, he's a messianic figure. He's a um, a type of Christ, a typology of Jesus, a typology of the man who needs who needs God in his life. This is all that's what that's the whole point of it. That's the whole point of it. But if he is just a suffering man with no hope or aim to the future, then no. Then it's, that's 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 beating this nihilism that is uh, um, just complete uh, hopelessness. You have to have a me. Uh, the suffering has to have a point to it. Has to have a meaning to it, and it's found in Jesus Christ on the cross. And what happened? The cross is not the end. Christ rose again. Death does not have a hold on us. Death is not the end. There is a point. There is, there is a hope. There is a glory. 
and it's called the resurrection in Christ. All right, let's go to Psalm 147. All right, Psalm 147. And the response is, praise the Lord who heals the brokenhearted. Praise the Lord who heals the brokenhearted. So you see there's a theme going on for this Sunday. Praise the Lord who heals the brokenhearted. Praise the Lord for he is good. Sing praise to our God for he is gracious. It is fitting to praise him. The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. The dispersed of Israel he gathers. Praise the Lord who heals the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wound. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He tells the number he tells the number of the stars. He calls each by name. Praise the Lord who heals the brokenhearted. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. To his wisdom there is no limit. The Lord sustains the lowly. The wicked he casts to the ground. Praise the Lord who heals the brokenhearted. Okay, so let's go back and look at this. This is a very beautiful psalm. So there's a theme about, against, uh, again, for suffering. It continues from Job. That there is, that it's wrong to live in a world of nihilism, believing that there is no hope. There is no uh, point to existence, that life is just suffering. Uh, as a Christian, you can't walk around thinking like that. You're not even a Christian who thinks like that. That's like the devil wants you to think. That's also pride. It's saying that there is no God and God is not active. That's wrong. Praise the Lord for he is good. Sing praise to our God for he is gracious. All right. God is good. God is good. You know, like that movie, God is not dead. There's a theme. God is good. And that's true. That is absolutely true. God is good. And he's gracious. It is fitting to praise him. You should praise God at every moment of your life, the good and bad moment of your life. You could, you could even take the suffering moments, the painful moments, those moments of annoyance, and you can give it back to him, offer it up to him, and ask him to give you the grace to overcome these annoying or these horrible, painful moments, the great, the, the most horrible, brokenhearted moments, as well as the small, annoying, everyday moments. Like getting up in the morning, dealing with things that just seem like it can never go away, annoying moments, or like commuting, dealing with annoying people. There is, you know, you, you offer it up to God. There are things that are out of our hand. We can't change. We can't change other people. We could pray for them. We could pray for them, but we can't change them. Okay. Um, it is fitting to praise. And he's this, uh, this is an important part. The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. The dispersed of Israel, he gathers. The church is the new Jerusalem. It often looks like as though the church is falling apart. As a matter of fact, the church is always falling apart because it's filled with sinful, mortal 
human beings, in, you know, uh, imperfect people. The dispersed of Israel. We're also the new Israel. As Christians, we are the new Israel. Christ is our, our leader. Christ is the true Moses. He is the new Moses and we, and, and he is the new Israel. We are, you know, we are the true, we are the new kingdom. We are spiritual Semites. We are spiritual Jews. And we, you know, we're going to suffer because we are in the world. We're in a pilgrimage. You know, I was, I just, um, I finished listening to an audio book on Daniel. And this is after the Daniel story takes place after the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple and the 70 year exile. And listening to it, it made me realize something The the Jewish people were Christian, were type of picture of the church, the Christian church out in the world, living their faith, dealing with non-believers, uh, live, you know, uh, riding on the waves of empires. Now at the, you know, finding themselves at the mercy of hands of unbelievers. Look at us Christians. We're at the mercy of hands of unbelievers. We're at the mercy of hands of apostates. You read the book of Maccabees, you realize the betrayal came from within. And look what we're going through. We have betrayal from within. And we have also not just bad Christians, bad Catholics. We're also dealing with unbelievable, you know, uh, unbelieving Catholics, Catholics who, who are baptized and don't care and don't have any love for God. And yet at the same time, they don't even have the dignity of just leaving the church and walking away. But like politicians, bad Catholic politicians, they come back and they, they want to use the church to their advantage. So yes. He, you know, we're living, we're dispersed, living among, among, among the nations now. He heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. He tells the number of the stars. He calls each by name. He heals the brokenhearted. How many Catholics have had their hearts broken? How many of them have suffered at the hands of clerics? How many Christians have suffered in the hands of unbelievers? How many of our brothers and sisters uh, among the Coptic Christians have been murdered and killed and martyred. How many of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East have also suffered at the hands of ISIS and terrorists? How many of our brothers and sisters in Asia and China suffered at the hands of the communist, communist Chinese have been, you know, just decimated? How many of us here have suffered at the hands of politicians who scandalize the faith. How many of us have suffered under sexual abuse of clerics? He, he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He tells the number of the stars. He compares, the, the, this is fantastic. The brokenhearted and the ones who, with, with wounds are compared like the stars. And he know he calls each by name. He knows all of us personally by name. So don't don't give up. Don't give up. You have you know. I know it's hard, and I know some people don't want to hear it. But you got to. It takes faith. If you love God, then know that your suffering doesn't go unnoticed. All right. Faith is important. Don't 
give up. Don't abandon your faith. Don't abandon your, 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 your love for Christ. Do not abandon it. All right, let's continue. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. To his wisdom there is no limit. The Lord sustains the lowly. The wicked he casts to the ground. Okay? His, you know, he, his wisdom has no limit. And he sustains those of us who are suffering and lowly, who are brokenhearted. He gives us the graces we need. Our, our suffering has meaning. It has meaning. We live in a sinful, fallen world. There's hope. Okay, let's go on to the second reading. All right. Our next reading is from uh, St. Paul's uh, first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, chapter 9, verse 16, 19, 22, 23. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. If I preach the gospel, this is no reason for me to boast, for an obligation has been imposed on me. And woe to me if I do not preach it. If I do so willingly, I have to recompense, recompense. But if unwillingly, then I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my recompense? That when I preach, I offer the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Although I am free in regard to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so as to win over as many as possible. To the weak, I become weak, to win, to win over the weak. If I have become all things to all, to save at least some, all this I do for the sake of the gospel. So what I do so so that so that I too may have a share in it. Go back and read it one more time. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter nine, verse sixteen to nineteen, twenty-two to twenty-three. If I preach the gospel, this is no reason for me to boast of an obligation that has been imposed on me, and woe to me. If I do not preach it, if I do so willingly, I have recompense. But if uh, if unwillingly, then I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my recompense? That when I preach, I offer the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Although I am free in regard to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so as to win over as many as possible. To the weak, I become weak to win over the weak. I have become all things to all, to save at least some. All this I do for the sake of the gospel, so that I too may have a share in it. Okay. So, one more time. If I preach the gospel... This is no reason for me to boast, for an obligation has been imposed on me, and woe to me if I do not preach it. If I do so willingly, I have, rec 
a recompense. But if unwillingly, then I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my recompense? That when I preach, I offer the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right to the gospel, in the gospel. Although I am free in regard to all, I have made, my, made myself a slave to all, so as to win over as many as possible. To the weak, I become weak to win over the weak. I have become all things to all to save as many, uh, at least some, to save at least some. All this I do for the sake of the gospel so that I too may have a share in it. Okay, it's a lot here. There's a lot for us to dive into. Uh, it's that's going to be very interesting to uh, to see what he's trying to say to us. All right, so this is his first letter to the Corinthians, and uh, Saint Paul is the uh, missionary to the Gentiles, but he often went to Jews first. If I preach the gospel. This is no reason for me to boast, for an obligation has been imposed on me, and woe to me if I do not preach it. The gospel, he doesn't own it. The message of Christ is for everybody. And he has an obligation because, remember, St. Paul was first a persecutor of the church. In Jerusalem, he, he persecuted Christians. And many of them were fellow Jews who believed in Jesus. Paul, at the time, a student of Gamel, did not believe. He believed that there was a heresy, that this was a corruption of Judaism. And so he came down really hard on all uh, the early church, the Jewish Christians. The first person, the first martyr was St. Stephen. And Paul was there giving approval of Stephen's execution. They believe Stephen was preaching against the temple and they, um, Stephen was a Hellenistic Jew. He was a, a Greek-speaking uh, uh, Jew. And he, he, got, he, got to, he got to a lot of people because this was something they wanted to forget about Jesus. It's been maybe several weeks since his since uh, Passover, and they thought that once this man was crucified, and then there was that unusual uh, thing they couldn't they could not answer, which was the empty tomb. Uh, but they thought this Christian, this uh, Jesus of Nazareth, would disappear, and he obviously didn't. It took on a different form. Now there's quite, there's talk of his resurrection. And that that these people still, they want to believe he's the Messiah. And it seems to gaining numbers. Well, Paul now, eventually, you know, you know what happened. He, he comes down on them. Some of them run to Damascus and Paul gets a permission from the high priest, Caiaphas himself, to go out and bring some of them back in chains. On his road to Damascus, he bumps into the resurrected Christ. And he's made blind. And several days later, uh, he was blind for three days. And then Ananias comes and um, gives him back, uh, you know, heals him. Power of Christ works through Ananias. And then Paul is baptized. Paul realized he's wrong. And he 
becomes an apostle and he's given permission by the church in Jerusalem, James and Peter, to preach the gospel among the Gentiles. Paul approaches it very radically. The words that Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus, why, Saul, Saul, why do you keep persecuting me? His Jewish name is Saul. His Roman name, his Greek and Roman name is Paul. He changes, shocks the authorities in Jerusalem. And to him, this is an obligation he has to fulfill. To, he's a slave to Christ. He's a slave to the gospel. He's a minister. And he wants to make sure that it goes out. And it does. This is his obligation. He, you know, he says, I don't own it. It's not mine. I have to preach it. And I, you know, you know, I'll suffer if I don't preach it. If I, um, if I do so willingly, I have recompense. But if unwilling, then I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Uh, he, he feels he is, he has to, he has to do it. That his, that he, his whole life depends on it because to him, the gospel is life and death. People have to listen. They have to hear it. What then is my recompense that when I preach, I offer the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. There have been, uh, false preachers. And there still is. I mean, come on, look at look at some of these guys on TV. Look at some of these guys on TV with these mega churches. Some of them are going around with seven forty seven jets. All right. They 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 look like CEOs. They look they look like powerful. I mean, these guys are unbelievable. They have mansions. Mansions. And then they tell people that if you do this, you know, there's a health and wealth gospel. There's a, you know, you, you know, you, 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 you know, you do this for God. God will bless you with, with, with unbelievable wealth. I mean, it's amazing, but there's more that that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we have to become, we have to be molded and shaped into the image of Christ. It's not, you know, I mean, I mean, I just, I just remember, I, 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 I recited to you the sower. And one of the seeds, the seeds that falls with the thorns and thistles, with the weeds, gets choked because it represents the wealth, the worries and materialism of the world, and it chokes the gospel. What happened to the part also it's easier for a camel to go to the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's Are they reading a different gospel? Obviously, they seem to. Okay? They seem to be reading a different gospel. Yes, the Vatican is 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 has mansions in it. It looks rich. It looks powerful. It looks like it belongs to a king. The Pope is not a king. And it doesn't belong to the Pope, but it belongs to the whole church. The wealth that given to the, the church is to, to help it operate among the nations. It doesn't, it doesn't belong to the cardinals and princes, although some of them act like they do. But that's expected. That's expected. It's ex because human beings always, always get weak in the knee somehow. You're going to get a few that are going to get a weak in the knee when it comes to money.
when it comes to wealth. And yes, there's a shameful report going around of how the bishops of America, all the dioceses have put out money for the PP, for the bailout money, the COVID bailout money, which is supposed to go to private businesses, mom, pa shops. There's a few diners and businesses here that I think could use that money to help them survive. All right. They, they, Together, all the dioceses of America collected, uh, got money from the U.S. government, over $3 billion. That's B, billions with a B, as Trump would say. Did they really need it? Was there a need for it, or was it that they wanted it? That's a good question. I don't know. But that's But this is shameful. It's embarrassing. What? This is my record that when I preach the gospel, I preach, I offer the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He ha he doesn't own it. It's not his. It belongs to Jesus. Although I am free in regard to all, I have made myself a slave to all so as to win over as many as possible. To the weak, I become weak to win over the weak. I have become all things to all to save At least some. All this I do for the sake of the gospel, so that I too may have a share in it. <laughs> he cannot put himself above the gospel. He cannot put himself above those he's preaching. He made himself, he becomes, to some people, he, he steps down. He goes to their level. And to others, he tries to, he tries to talk to them on their level. All right. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. It's for the rich, the powerful, the, the, the ignorant, the intelligent, the prideful for everybody. They all need to hear the gospel. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. And this is something that we, we have to remember. It's shameful if others make money off of it. It's shameful if others make entertainment of it. It's shameful if others use it to take advantage of a people of it. It's wrong. The gospel is about saving souls. It's about changing lives. It's about saving souls. And every day, someone who preaches the gospel has to always put himself down. He has to make himself also a repentant sinner. And that's the problem with some of these people. They don't think they're sinners. They think that they're better. They think because they can preach well that they're better th that they're better than smarter than anybody else. I'm a sinner. I could be doing this podcast talking to you about this and guess what's going to happen? I could still go to hell for my sins. But guess what? The Lord could use what I'm doing to bring you to heaven. And he'll use me to do that. But if I have, I mean, it's sad. There's reports about this um, Protestant minister. I used to listen to him and it's sad when I'm hearing this. His name was Ravi Zacharias. There's reports about him having uh, immoral sexual behavior. And that he was a fraud about himself, about his background. It's, it's scary. It's scary. It's amazing how God will reveal things about people if they're not cautious. 
He didn't have to make up all these things up. He didn't have to do, he didn't have to say he went to colleges and universities. He could have just done, just preached the gospel. That's all he needed to do. And sadly, he, you know, if this is true, it's sad. It's very, very sad. It's the same thing like with the McCarrick scandal. It's terrible. It's the same thing we're hearing about all these, these, God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. Christ will not let anyone mock him. What is hidden will be exposed to the light. What is whispered will be shouted on the rooftops. Okay? You know, he will not be mocked. Okay, let's go to the gospel. Okay, so now we go into the gospel of Mark. Let's start with the Alleluia. It's from Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. Alleluia, Alleluia. Christ took away our infirmities and bore our diseases. Alleluia, Alleluia. Christ took away our infirmities and bore our diseases. Alleluia, Alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verse 29 to 39. Jesus cured many who were sick with various diseases. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. They immediately told him about her. He approached, grasped her hand, and helped her up. Then the fever left her, and she waited on them. When it was evening, after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was, was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and on finding him said, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, Let us go on to the nearby villages, that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. So he went into their synagogue, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's read it one more time. Okay, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verse 29 to 39. Jesus cured many who were sick with various diseases. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. They immediately told him about her. He approached, grasped her hand, and helped her up. Then the fever left her, and she waited on them. When it was evening, after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off 
to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him and on finding him said, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, Let us go on to the nearby villages that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. Okay. And as we like to do it, one more time. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verse 29 to 39. On leaving the synagogues, the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. They immediately told him about her. He approached, grasped her hand, and helped her up. Then the fever left her, and she waited on them. When it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and on finding him said, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, Let us go on to the nearby villages, that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. So he went into their synagogue, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're taken back uh, from the uh, middle of St. Mark's gospel where he's going off from Capernaum. And now on this Sunday, we're taken back to right to the beginning of Capernaum, which is very interesting. So um, this is right at the start when he just met all the apostles. But again, you can see that the infirmities, he heals people there, you know, Jesus is involved. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really unbelievable because we went from, uh, he hears, he heals the, um, uh, the, the garrison, the guy who the man possessed with many demons, with legions of demons, uh, living among the, uh, I guess they're Samaritans and or Syrio Phoenicians, uh, the people, but, there's a lot of occultism in that area. Remember with the swine and everything, you know, the swine, the, the demons wanted to go into the swine, uh, thinking of tr tricking Jesus because the idea was that they, once he's out of the region, they'll go back into the man or go find another victim, another poor soul to torment. But that doesn't happen. The swine fall right into the river. They're, the sins are washed away into the, uh, the sea the Legalian Sea. So the sins are gone. And the people find the man in his right state of mind. And but they're but they're but they have been living so much in sin. And they're fearful of this change. They see what this man has done. They beg Jesus to leave. The the man that who was who was the demoniac begged Jesus, let me come with you. And Jesus told him no. 
It wasn't re- it wasn't time for now for people outside of Israel to follow him. But he told the man, go back home to your people and tell them what great mercy God has shown you. If you hear people shouting, it's a snowy Sunday, so I'm sure there's kids playing in the snow, so sorry. But the point is, they they see they see what you know they know you know you see how Jesus already made him into a missionary and you see that now going back you know we had we went through the girl the the head of the synagogue his daughter the woman with the the issuing of blood um and then you know he's he's healed other people and now we're going back to Capernaum and this is something more personal after the, after the Sabbath service, Jesus enters the house of Simon Peter with, you know, the home of Simon Peter and Andrew. And then he brings with him James and John and Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Now, I know in the series, The Chosen, they have Peter's wife. They have an actress playing Peter's wife. But I don't, because the gospel doesn't make mention. She's his mother-in-law. Obviously, he was married but we don't see a wife. She's never mentioned in the gospel. And that's not because she's not supposed to be mentioned. They obviously mention a mother-in-law. The God, Mark mentions a mother-in-law, but he doesn't make mention of the wife. I'm going to assume, I think it's natural to assume that Simon Peter at this time is a widower, that his wife passed away. But because... It doesn't make mention of children either. But what I'm saying here is that I believe that because he loved his wife so much that he's taking care of his mother-in-law, that this is personal, that, that she is an important person to him, that he loved her as his own mother. And then what happens is obviously she, you know, she's important to him. They tell him about her being sick. Jesus comes, takes her by the hand, lifts her up, the fever leaves her and she begins to minister to him. I don't know if you remember the actress who plays the mother of uh, uh, mother-in-law of Simon Peter. Well, you know, the actor uh, playing Jesus, she's in the kitchen putting things together and she asks, does your friend love goat cheese? <laughs> you know, it's, it's cute scene, you know, and the actor playing Jesus, I love goat cheese, <laughs> but it's, it's a cute scene. It's you can you know you know it would be nice to imagine that, but there's no mention of wife, and I'm not trying to be hostile about it. I'm just saying that we have to, you know, we can't paint a, a pretty picture that's not there. And I'm not saying the act uh, the show is wrong to do what they're doing. You know, there's creative license is permitted, but for us studying the scriptures, it's just I don't. She's not there. I believe she he, his you know he's. He's been without a wife for for several years now. And then his mother-in-law is just someone important to him. She's family. You know, he's probably, who knows, maybe his parents have been gone. Who knows? You know, obviously he's, you know, no mention of father, of, uh, of the father of, of Simon and Andrew. And there's no mention of kids. So there's a possibility that Simon Peter didn't have any responsibility. I mean, I don't, I mean, 
it's just it's just there. It just doesn't say it. Um, then the evening comes, and after people remembered in the synagogue, there was also a, a, a demoniac, someone who was possessed, and Jesus cast out the demon. This is the first official possession uh, of exorcism we ever heard. And then people after evening, this is after the sunset. You know they, they you know they can bring they can be more active. The Sabbath has ended. Uh, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not bringing them to speak because they knew him. Now, this is an interesting part I noticed here. Behold, I stand at the door. That's from the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. And a coal come to the door. The whole town was gathered at the door. It's you. You see the. You see that. Behold, I stand at the door. Anyone who opens it up, I will come in and sit with him. You know, he will make his home in our soul. The whole town came to him at the door. And they decided to, you know, they, they met him. And that basically, it's the the door to their souls, the door to, the, to, to our faith. The door was open. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons. So there was more people who suffered of some mental illness, um, possession, um, there were no fancy uh, medicine, no uh, fancy drugs or anything like that to help them. Jesus was the answer to the heal the to their souls, to their to their to their fears, to their uh, to their captivity to sin. And not he didn't permit them to speak because they knew him. You see, they knew that he is the Lord. Regardless what, they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The fallen angels have to, because if they wouldn't, they wouldn't do it before the fall, they'll do it after. And if all of us, if we don't proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord in our lifetime, we will do it in our damnation, in death. If we refuse to confess who he is, we're going to do it one way or another, whether we like it or not. So why can't we just convert and confess that he's Lord and therefore in heaven, we will be complete. We will we, we will be, be complete in our salvation. But regardless what, if those who refuse to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, refuse to repent of their sins, then with the angels in our damnation, we will confess him to be Lord. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Remember when I mentioned when the uh, the last podcast where Jesus, where the apostles came back after their mission of healing, casting out demons, and performing miracles, and they told Jesus all the news, everything that they that they've they've uh, they've done and taught, and then Jesus come away with me to a deserted place as you are, and so you see he you know they this is the manner of praying, they would practice this. They would go and they needed time to pray because even though they're preaching and ministering, they still need time to uh, heal, to 
to gather their minds, their thoughts, and to strengthen themselves because they need prayer. Prayer is a very important part of our lives. We have to do it. So go find a, 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 a deserted place where no one can bother you for a while. And Jesus would do this. He'd rise up before anyone, early before dawn. He left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him. And, and on finding him, everyone was looking for you. He told, uh, he told, then Jesus said to them, let us go to a nearby villages and that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come into the world. I've come, I'm sorry, I've come. So he went into the their synagogues, preaching and, and driving out demons throughout a whole of Galilee. So remember like, in the last one where he was on a boat, he got into a boat and remember how the people ran ahead to meet them on the other end. How they kept their eye on the boat, kept their eye on, on the gospel, kept their eye on the Lord. And Jesus disembarked and he was moved for them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. The people wanted to be with him. They wanted to stay close to him. And this is something we have to do. Prayer is a very important part. Jesus, everything here, we see that Jesus, Jesus is the answer to all our problems. If there's no miracles, people often say, why aren't there miracles today? Miracles do happen. They just don't happen as much as they, 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 they used to because there should be more faith. The people back then didn't have the distractions we have today many of the uh, of our gadgets much of them as their blessings the phone like what i'm doing here uh putting together the podcast that's that's my setup is the phone i don't have a studio but the point is is that it can also be an object of sin an object of pornography an object of distraction an object to hurt as much as it is an object to do good. And much of our technology does that. We, it, it basically comes in our way. It, it, you know, as much as it can be a source of good, it could be a Pandora's box of evil. And that's, you know, that's the thing. But we, we live in a time where there's a lot of sin and a lot of distraction. And so it prevents us from, it, 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 it uh, it basically, it is a hindrance to grace and a hindrance to faith growing. We need to, we need to, we need to be more disciplined. I think today we need more discipline than any other time. We need more self-control than any other time. We need more uh, graces than any other time. And this is something we need. We People often say there's no miracles. God seems far away. God seems distant from us. He's not distant. We're the ones that are distant from him. We're the ones that, 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 that don't want to change. We like our ways. We like our bad habits. We like our distractions. We like our little, our little idols. It's us that's the problem, not him. We just need, we just need to be able to, be, to practice our faith better. Okay, so um, let's go to... Um, We'll say the Nessine Creed, and then finally the Our Father. All right, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, uh, right hand of the Father, and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Our, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Saint Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who proud the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, folks. Um, this is uh, the end of the um, Sunday, uh, fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time readings. I'll try to come back with a recap of episode 37 and 38. Unfortunately, those are the ones that, because I try to put uh, some music ahead of uh, in the introduction, it wound up being, I don't know, only on Spotify. And... Um, it hasn't been posted yet. Uh, it's past that Friday, so I'm going to try to do a recap of them. All right, and I'll get back with also Monday's reading. So God bless. <laughs>